I was in China for a CCA event, myself and, and Yusuf Baji, who runs the certification programs. And we had a party, a reception for CCAEs in Beijing. And there was a wall where we had customers signing their names with a, like a metallic pen. We had a lot of people asking us to take pictures and so on. And a gentleman brought his laptop to us and asked us to autograph his laptop. And the translator was telling us, the CCAE has made that much difference to his life. Right? Now this guy didn't know, who, other than we were with the program, didn't know who we were, what we did, but the program and what Cisco built made that much of a difference to his life that he wanted us to sign his MacBook. That to me is the reason I'm here is that impact we've had on literally millions of people's lives through certifications and training over the last 20 years. Hello and welcome to the Cisco Learning Network podcast. That was David Mallory, Director and Chief Technology Officer for Learning at Cisco. On this episode, we're telling the story of Cisco certifications, how it started, how it's changed throughout its 30-year history, and the hopes for this program from the folks who helped form it, like David. So buckle up, because we're going back in time to 1993. CCAE specifically was launched in 1993, and many of the tech firms had certification programs at that time. Novell was very popular. That was the first certification I got from a vendor, but 3Com and 4Systems, there were many certification programs, and Cisco's was kind of unique in that its original intent was to give people the ability to bypass the initial cues when they open a tag case, if they were proven to have these high level expert level skills, they got right to the escalation engineer, the top of the queue, which was a real benefit at the time. But it was a much different approach in how certifications were done, both from the testing in that it was a hands-on practical exam where most of the vendors were just a multiple choice test delivered at a, a, you know, a partner like a view or a parametric. It was much different in its delivery and it was much different in its purpose, which I found to be really, really cool, right? I was what you would call a paper Novell certified engineer. I got my certifications before I had ever installed a Novell system. Not possible with Cisco. So it was pretty unique in the day for that. So in 1993, the CCI certification was introduced. That's Jeff McLaughlin, Senior Director of Technical Marketing at Cisco, speaking in a webinar with Par Marat, who's the Vice President of Customer Experience at Cisco, about the CCIE in a software-defined networking world. These are some topics from the original CCIE blueprint. Apple Talk, ISDN, DECnet, Banyan, Vines, X25, 802.5. Obviously, a lot of technologies that we don't think about today. So it was a very different world back then. The original CCIEs, this is interesting. The very first number was 1,024, so we did not start counting at one. And the very first number went to the lab. The lab itself was granted number 1,024. 1,025 went to this gentleman, Stuart Biggs. Okay, let's pause here, back up, and fill in some gaps before we get to Stuart Biggs. So the Cisco Certified Internetwork Expert, or CCIE level certification, was actually the first certification to be released by Cisco. On September 27, 1993, the then Vice President of Cisco at the time, John Chambers, announced in a Cisco press release that, quote, the CCIE program begins where the other vendors' certification programs leave off. It can be compared to completing a university course versus taking college entrance exams. Prospective CCIE candidates must be highly qualified just to enter the program, and then, after taking an intensive troubleshooting course, must pass a rigorous hands-on lab test conducted by senior support engineers. This very stringent set of requirements ensures that only the best professionals are selected." End quote. So Stuart Biggs, a technical lead at Cisco in software, voice, and video development, was a big reason why the CCIE certification came into being. Mr. Biggs was asked to train the lead network engineers at Ford Motors on Cisco's new products at the time, which included AGS, AGS Plus, MGS products, as well as transmission control protocol and internet protocol theory in August of 1992. 
It was a challenging request because Ford Motors wanted their engineers to have hands-on experience with the lab topology environments. And at the time, there really hadn't been any way thought of to demonstrate this. So Stuart Biggs spent the night before thinking of ways he could break his own lab topology and have the students try to figure out how to fix it. And in doing so, Ford's network engineers successfully understood the technology they needed to learn, and the news made its way to John Chambers. Stuart wrote the exam. So he wrote the exam and he gave himself the first CCIE number other than the lab, which makes sense, right? I think that's fair if he wrote the exam. It was a hard test. 1026 went to Terry Slattery. And Terry, just think about this. Like when I took the exam, there was this whole cottage industry around passing the CCIE. There were practice tests, there were books out. And he just walked in and took it. I mean, he studied, don't get me wrong, but he didn't have all that helpful material. I mean, he just had the manuals and he went in and took this exam and passed it. I got my CCAE, my first CCAE in April of 1996. And I had been working in the industry for quite a while. I actually started in networking in 1987 at IBM, well before the internet. Well, I'm definitely an older guy. I had lots of certifications. I had Novell, I had 3Com, I had Bay Networks, I had four systems because I worked for a reseller and they required these certifications to sell their products. The company I worked for did not sell Cisco. And we were signed up to sell Cisco in February of 96. And we were told in order to be a gold partner, you have to have two people certified on their products. And we said, okay, we'll go and take the test. Much, much different than any experience we had had before. We signed the agreement in February, the 1st of February, and we were asked to have two CCIEs in the company by May 1st. So we had a very short window in order to, you know, to get two of us through the program. By the way, the first time I configured a Cisco router was in February of 1996, but I had a ton of experience on 3Com, on Wellfleet, on other products, right? So I understood routing protocols. I understood troubleshooting methodologies and so on. But I had from February 1st until April 24th to prepare for my CCIE. Luckily, I didn't know it was a two-day test until March. That's when they told me, you're going to fly to California to take this test. You're not taking it at the local Pearson Testing Center. Oh, and by the way, it's two days. So it was a little bit of panic at that time. And that's when myself and the other engineer who was selected to become a CCAE, where we started really trying to stump each other. So Cisco offered, if you need to take training, you can take some of our classes. And if you pass your CCAE, we'll refund you the cost of those classes. I was able to schedule one class at the time. It was called ACRC, Advanced Cisco Routing Configuration. But it was really hard to schedule classes in such a short time frame. The job I had at the time was the perfect prep for the CCIE. Every day, I was at a different customer installing or configuring or troubleshooting a different scenario. The CCIE exam, you know, IP had not won the technology work. The CCIE covered IP and Novell, Apple Talk, DECnet, SNA networking. It was Ethernet and token ring and, you know, WAN interfaces. So it was very broad. And that was a struggle for a lot of people who were working in their own network. They weren't seeing that diversity. I had a job where every day I saw diverse networks, diverse setups and across all of those technologies, right? I would work on a SNA configuration today and tomorrow I'd be troubleshooting a connection to the internet. So my experience, my knowledge came 99% through on the job experience. When I tell people I, I started working on Cisco networks in February and I was a CCA in April, a lot of times they don't believe me, but again, I'd been working in networking since 1987. So I had many, many years of experience. And again, I think that's probably why CCIE was such a hit, was it was that practical examination of the ability to prove your experience and your knowledge in a very, very real world scenario. The CCIE was so different from other exams. All of the other certification exams in tech at that time were a one or two hour test in a testing center. The CCIE was a two day, hands-on, very intensive environment. At the time, it was a very practical test of your experience, not of just theory. It asked the hard questions like, could you make this network work? And if the network is broken, could you fix it and restore it? The unique nature of this exam immediately prompted vendors to copy the same structure. There's lots of practical hands-on exams today, but Cisco was the first and they were the only one for quite a while. The value that that gave to the community, right? To truly prove your skills at this level made a huge difference. And it was really a badge of honor 
right? Still is a badge of honor, but compared to the other programs at the time from other vendors, it was a, just a really amazing thing. So it, when I took my lab in 96, I was lucky I, I passed the first time, but I was really amazed at the experience. I met a few people who had early numbers. I get that reaction from people today when they see my number, like, oh, wow, you, you were in the beginning. And I wasn't quite the beginning, but it was still pretty early. The goal of all of the SEs was to be a CCIE. I loved the experience of the CCIE so much that a few years in, they launched the WAN switching CCIE. I was doing some WAN switching work, primarily an ATM for some of my large enterprise customers. So I went for my second CCIE, got hooked and it was a hobby for a little while. So I got four CCIEs in total over, so over 2001, 02 and 03. It was really a kind of an addiction for a little while to prove yourself against this challenge that the CCIE team put together to demonstrate your skills. In 1998, the CCNA and NP were introduced, so many of you remember that for a while, the CCI was it. That was the only test that we had at Cisco. Uh, and then we introduced the NA and the NP. I'm one of the ones who went that route. I decided to do NA and NP before doing my CCIE so I could get the foundations and really be ready when I took the actual exam. So I joined Cisco in 98, which is interesting because I joined right when Cisco was launching the CCNA and CCNP certifications. So I had already had my CCIE. To be honest, I didn't pay too much attention to it. The CCNA and the CCNP were actually both launched together at Networkers in Philadelphia in the U.S. in 1998. A little bit different than the CCIE in that it was a certification exam, but also a class associated with it to prepare you for those skills. These CCNA specifically was not meant to be a, a test of great experience, it was the associate level, the, you know, kind of the entry level job. In 98, networks were booming. There were very few people in this industry. And, you know, I'd been in the industry for 10 years, but I'm by far a rarity. We had people coming in, switching careers. I remember a Cisco SE I worked with in 98. His career originally, his studies was to be a pharmacist. And he got bored and then he became a police officer and then he became a networking engineer. I was a nursery school teacher before I got into IT. Well, that was kind of because I got burnt out on other stuff, but still. <laughs> it makes for a good story. <laughs> That's Denise Donahue, a business architect and technical author. In addition to holding numerous certifications, Denise has also written many certification study guides and books to help people prepare for their certification exams. It was the late 90s, and I had a company with a couple other people where we were working with servers, Windows servers, like Windows NT servers, connecting it to them to like Bay Network switches and things, <laughs> ISDN modems. One of the people that worked with us got his CCNA, and he was so freaking snotty about it that I said, I can do that. You hand me your books and I'll just study them. I can do that without touching a Cisco switch or a router, I betcha. So I studied the books, like this was 99 by then. In 99, it was like three quarters OSI model. So I just studied the books and I got my CCNA. <laughs> but in the process of learning that, I was so impressed with what Cisco could do with their switches and their routers that I said, this is the direction I want to go in my life. So getting that certification really changed my life, actually. It changed my whole life's direction from then on. So we had all kinds of people coming in to the industry at that time. The demand was so high, the supply was so low that CCIE was way too high a bar. And we needed to get people in to do this, this level of work. So while it wasn't that interesting to me, because I had my CCIE for a couple of years already, I thought it was certainly something that should have been done earlier, in fact, right? I thought it was, you know, a little surprised that it, it happened so late. Cisco by that time was certainly the lead, you know, it still was later in the, in the networking world, but in 98, it was way above most of the, the competitors. So we had this huge influx of people working towards networking skills. We were also had started the Cisco Networking Academies. 
at that time, where you could take the course as part of your education, either in, in the U.S. and high schools and junior colleges and you know around the globe. I don't think the internet or the networking industry would be anywhere near it was if it were not for things like this. Again, not just the certification, but the training programs and this large-scale reach through Netacad, as well as reach from our competitors at the time who were bringing on people and trying to train them. The demand was so high that we had to get people brought on very quickly and give them a way to learn as they went. They couldn't all come in as experts. So the associate and the professional both, I think were really, really key to growing the pool of labor that was needed in order to do the work that was on everyone's plate at the time. So I think it was huge in retrospect. Preparing for Cisco certification exams is now a pretty big industry with all kinds of labs, books, study groups, and guides, and the Cisco Learning Network, which is free. But when Denise was studying for her CCNA in the late 90s, preparing for Cisco's certification exams was kind of like being in the Wild West. You didn't have a whole lot of resources available yet, and you kind of had to fend for yourself in a lot of ways. To get my certifications, yes, I was using Cisco Pressbooks. I was sitting in Cisco classes when I could, or taking the books from the classes where I could, if I couldn't sit the class, if I could get my hands on a, a used set of books. I was doing that. I went to eBay and I bought equipment, old 2500 series routers and, and 1900 series switches. I had a token ring switch sitting in there too, and set up my own lab also in my house, in the corner of my bedroom. My poor husband went to sleep many nights with the hum of equipment keeping him company. <laughs> poor guy. But my approach was just to study whatever I could get my hands on, to whatever I could find to help me add that extra little bit of knowledge. Working with people, forming study groups on specific topics, like especially around MPLS, which I had a, I don't know, a mental block about. We got some people together and we just bashed our heads against it and worked our way through MPLS. Yeah, basically just immerse yourself in it until you dream about it and can't stand to look at it anymore. And the CCNA proved to be challenging for even someone with, say, four CCIEs under their belt. I actually took the CCNA exam after I joined the learning team at about, I don't know, probably 2006 or 2007. But I tell you, I went in there with four CCAEs thinking, oh, I don't need to prepare. I'll just go and sit and take this. It was a really challenging, very fair, but very challenging exam. So I think that really started to change my view. I realized at that time that it wasn't like the Nobel of years ago where you could take it without really having some hands-on experience. Right? You had to have some hands-on experience. It wasn't just take a class and pass the exam. Take the class, build your skills, but also have a little bit of experience. Your customer, your, your employer is trusting that you can actually do activities on their network, running their business. It is a challenging exam, and it should be. Of course, it gets progressively more challenging as you move up to NP and IE. Getting certifications has helped me get jobs and helped me keep jobs. Remember the tech crash of 2000? Nobody was traveling. Nobody was paying for their employees to travel for classes. The tech crash of 2000, also known as the dot-com bubble, was a stock market bubble in the late 90s that ultimately led to a crash in March of 2000. This bubble started growing in 1995. The access to the internet was growing rapidly, and the use and operation of computers became a huge part of people's lives. Online retail was at an all-time high at that point, and investors were starting to pay attention. Sure enough, with investment, excitement, and the promise of new opportunity, the stock market value of many tech companies ascended. According to an article in Time Magazine, quote, the value of the NASDAQ, home to many of the biggest tech stocks, grew from around 1,000 points in 1995 to more than 5,000 in 2000. Companies were going to market with IPOs and fetching huge prices, with stocks sometimes doubling on the first day. It was a seeming wonderland where anyone with an idea could start making money." End quote. But in March of 2000, it all started to unravel. According to the Corporate Finance Institute, an online training and education platform for finance and investment professionals, quote, outrageous valuations were placed on these companies, and share prices continued to go up as demand was overwhelming. Therefore, the bursting of the bubble was inevitable and resulted in a market crash which was more conspicuous on the NASDAQ stock exchange." End quote. Throughout the course of March, just one month, almost $1 trillion worth of stock was gone. People even stopped taking classes because tech companies were going under. 
lot of people who were taking classes were ones that were paying for it on their own to try and get a better job or any kind of job somewhere. I wanted to sell my company and pursue the Cisco track, pursue networking, was looking for jobs, and the job I got was because I already had my CCNA. It was a job teaching and consulting for a company that started going bankrupt when the tech crash hit in the fall of 2000. And I got laid off, went to work for Global Knowledge right away. They were hiring. And I would study for my CCNP as I was teaching classes. You know, at night I would, when the students left, I would take the equipment because we had on-site equipment back then, rearrange everything, lab it all up, and just systematically went through, learned kind of hands-on through doing that, got my CCMP certifications. Around the same time, the classes switched to online, and so I got some real hands-on experience with the Global Knowledge's network. We were working in their data center, setting up their whole network to be able to go, you know, nationwide online classes, online labs, switching everything around so you did not ship equipment around. Just that whole transition to online work. Learning that and then being able to take the classes, being able to have the hands-on time with the equipment, both in Global Knowledge's network and then in the, you know, the labs with the student equipment. It was three years. It was a very intensive three years between my CCNA and my, C my CCIE. You have to be determined. There's so much else that's going to be calling for your attention that you have to have the motivation. You have to be constantly in touch with your why, to put it in today's terms. There was a Christmas morning when I was studying for my CCIE after I took it the first time in January. That Christmas morning before that, I went downstairs, we opened presents, and I went back upstairs to my lab. My family knew. I looped them in. This is the reason I'm doing this. In fact, my daughter's first reaction when I called them to tell them that I had passed my CCIE was, oh, thank goodness we don't have to eat dad's cooking anymore. One thing to mention is my path was different. Most people, I think, come to certifications in conjunction with hands-on experience in their job. Whereas for me, my hands-on experience was kind of a, a combination of me wanting to do it and having the the drive and determination to use the students' lab equipment to do it, to learn from the work that I did with the Global Knowledges Network, to combine those two to get, I guess, the equivalent of hands-on learning. So it's a little bit different than most people's path. At that time, in 2003, I knew some people in the learning pretty well, in the learning group, and I was asked to come to learning to help try to teach people how to become an expert. Prior to that time, there was training launched with CCNA and CCNP. So when we launched a new CCNA exam or a new CCNP exam, we launched a corresponding course. There was never formal training or official training for CCIE. You prepared through your experience. The way I prepared was I always had someone I studied with and we would try to come up with scenarios to stump the other person. So you could come up with the most devious topology or, you know, the most difficult troubleshooting problem. So I was asked to come and teach people how to be CCIEs in 03 and spent about uh, four years working on our expert level training program, building the voice program, working very closely with the CCIE team. And because I've enjoyed that experience so much, 19 years later, I am still in the learning and certifications team here at Cisco. The CCIE had taken off. People found it to be a reprieve, as it offered stability in an unstable world, as long as you could pass it. But then in 2001, Cisco decided to shake things up a bit. 2001, the test went from two days to one day. And for those of you who were around back then, you'll remember there was a lot of controversy around this. You know, for many, many years, when people talked about the CCIE, that was always in the first sentence, right? It's a two-day exam, a two-day hands-on exam. You know, you have to go home after that first day and you don't know whether you're gonna come back the second day. And then they break the lab and, and you have to troubleshoot it on the second day. And so I know I was just starting to think about taking the test in 2001. And when they changed it, I was kind of upset. You know, I'm thinking, well, I don't know if people are gonna value this exam anymore if it's down to one day. I don't know if people are still gonna take it. Maybe it's gonna die off, right? Now, the reality is the Cisco did it for very good reasons. I mean, when you used to book your lab exam in the two day era point where it was months and months and months before you could get into a lab. In many cases, if you had to retake it, like most people do, you know, it could take you years at that rate to get through your CCIE exam. 
there's a two-day CCIE who works for me who still gives me a hard time about me being a one-day CCIE. So it never ends. I guess he doesn't want his bonus, though, or something, because uh, he should be careful who he's talking to. In the early 2000s, networking was becoming much more diverse. You know, we had had, for example, a big change with SNA, where SNA networks, instead of being dedicated networks, started running on top of the IP backbone. Voice similar, where we started doing voice over IP in the late 90s, right? And it started becoming a very key driver of the growth of the network. But it really wasn't feasible. There really wasn't someone who had a job role where they did the backbone networking and they did the security of the, you know, the firewalls and they did the wireless and they did the voice and so on and so forth. In the early 2000s, at the expert level, Cisco started adding new tracks. There was a track for SNA networking. There was a track for WAN switching. I got that in 2001. It launched a little bit before. We added security in 02, voice in 03. We started to grow the number of expert level certifications in order to make sure we had the ability out there in the industry to absorb all of these new technologies and skills. The core route switch guy didn't have time to do all of these other things or the ability to grasp all of this at the expert level, typically. The interesting thing is kind of an internal structure that caused some separation. The CCIE team was always part of Cisco services team. The CCNA and CCNP were started in a different organization, and they didn't come together until later in actually close to the end of the 2000s, like 2008, 2009 timeframe. So the CCIE was innovative and had these additional tracks. As the CCIE grew and changed, a big question began to emerge in the minds of exam creators, testers, and even companies seeking employees. What makes an expert? When I got my Route Switch CCIE, which was called Route Switch back then. It was a good preparation for others. There weren't that many others <laughs> that you could choose from. But for instance, one of the things I thought about doing and started down the path of was getting the security CCIE while I was in the study mode. And it was probably half Route Switch, so it wouldn't have been that hard. My family kind of rebelled, so I didn't do that. One of the things that things different now is, number one, all the different CCIEs you can get, but also the fact that they are very different. Yeah, obviously there's some basic information you need to have, but the certification track itself has kept up with technology shifts and solution shifts. And technology has gotten so developed and so complex that you can't have one certification that's half overlap with another certification. There's just too much out there. One thing that stayed the same, just based on at least from what I can see in the certifications, is that it is not a best practices exam. If you were actually designing a network, you would go and look at validated design guides, talk to other people who've done this before, give some thought to if I change this this way, is it going to accomplish my purpose? Is this the least complex way to do it? You don't want to introduce complexity where you don't have to. But then again, you don't want to go for simple where you need complexity. So as far as best practices go, it's a multifaceted thing. You find out from other people and from design guides what the best practice is, but then you also have to apply your own knowledge and common sense to it. CCDE is best practices. That's tailoring your design to the needs of, of your company or your customer or whatever. Right. This is, do you know how to implement this technology in great depth? Some of the questions, at least they were, you know, 20 years ago, were, yeah, there's a couple ways to, to do this, to accomplish this. But if you accomplish it one way, it's going to affect something two steps down and it's going to mess it up. If you accomplish it the different way, then everything's going to be fine. There are so many people in my customer patch who get the CCIE and then try to apply those same principles to their network. And it's not a best practices. It's a, here's this whole range of technology. Do you know how to make it all work together? Are you expert in it? And also the exam itself. Equipment isn't sitting beside you anymore. Started out, you had to physically do cabling. You don't have to do that now. You've got virtual equipment. You had that troubleshooting section that was introduced, and then that was, you know, that's changed around some too. The structure of the exam has changed. I think what hasn't changed is 
the breadth of technology that you need to know to pass it and the depth that you have to get into with each technology. That, it seems to me, has stayed the same. And I think that's what makes the CCIE just different and distinct. What makes you truly an expert is that you know all the knobs and bells and whistles and what's going to happen if you do this and the downstream effects of changing something. That's critical to know. This was something that was also on the mind of David Mallory as he entered the Cisco Learning Team. When I joined the, the team, the learning team, I was working as a SME on collaboration voice. That was kind of my specialty at the time. I was doing that on CCNA and CCNP, which were launched after I joined the team, but where I was also looking at how we build experts. It was interesting. There was an article in Time Magazine about expertise. It was when Obama was running for president, and there was a question about does experience matter? Because he didn't have a lot of experience here, right? just a short time as a senator. And it was a great article, and they referred to a book. It was called The Cambridge Handbook on Expertise. The Cambridge Handbook of Expertise and Expert Performance, published in 2006, is the first handbook where the world's foremost experts on expertise share scientific knowledge of expertise and expert performance. It shows how experts may differ from non-experts in terms of development, training, reasoning, knowledge, and social support. It was written by Kay Anders Erickson, who was a Swedish psychologist, Conradi eminent scholar, and professor of psychology at Florida State University. He was internationally recognized as a researcher in the psychological nature of expertise and human performance. Basically, Erickson states that there's a common definition of what is an expert, and there are three components. The first component is the most obvious. In order to be an expert, you have to have the knowledge, or essentially understanding, of the domain. The second two components discuss what distinguishes the expert from the professional. In addition to knowledge, you need the ability to form a mental simulation. That means to take all of those requirements, both the explicit requirements and the implicit requirements, and determine how you're going to solve that problem. And a lot of times those conflicting requirements. How am I going to get this done and get this other thing done when they're in, in conflict? When we talk about golf, I'm a hacker, right? I'll use golf, what I taught all the time. I get up and the green is somewhere off in that direction and I pick a club and I swing and maybe it gets there. Most of the time it doesn't. Whereas a golf profession was without really thinking about it. They're looking at, you know, what's the humidity? What's the wind direction? What's the lie in the grass? What's the contours of the green? And they're visualizing that shot. That's the difference between a professional and an expert. The last thing that defines an expert is the ability to validate that their solution is correct. It's that self-validation. That's what an expert is. The second question is, well, now how do you become an expert? And there's two common things to becoming an expert. One of those is deliberate practice, practicing what you're going to do. If I was a golfer and I was doing deliberate practice, right, I would be doing repetitive things. I'd be going to the driving range. I never do. I go out and have some fun. I don't deliberate practice but you have to deliberately practice. And that includes things like, what is that mental simulation? Not just how am I gonna configure BGP or how am I gonna configure a dial plan, but it's how am I going to analyze all the requirements? How am I going to identify the implicit requirements that aren't clearly stated? And how am I going to solve this problem end to end? Right? What are the various steps and pieces as I bring the solution together? You have to deliberately practice those skills. And you have to practice that self-validation, come up with ways to prove to yourself that what you did met the requirements. So that's one piece. And then the second piece is you have to have accurate feedback. Every professional sports player has a coach who's telling them, you did this a little wrong. You should, if you did this, just a little bit different, you'd be able to hit the ball further or whatever the case may be. So we built a program in that manner right, to help people identify that mental simulation. We provided in our solutions the, here's how you prove that you did it right. And we built rating engines that would grade you and give you, you did this wrong because of this. And we actually use those grading engines to help us grade the, the actual laps as well. But that accurate feedback is really, really important. So that's the big change. This has been a, a continuum over time, but I think those are the big changes from when this program launched in 93 to today, almost 30 years later, of how people prepare and learn. It's a much more deliberate process. It wasn't just, I've been doing the role for a while and I've done lots of installs and troubleshooting, and, you know, two in the morning to gain experience to a, a more deliberate preparation. 
become an expert. The experience of testing to become an expert can be intense. For both Jeff and Denise, the experience of testing for the CCIE is forefront in their minds. 2004, not a major event in CCIE history, but I passed my first CCIE. A few interesting things in my lab, there was a token ring Mao. Token ring had been removed from the test by the time I took it. It was just removed though, and I had a bunch of token ring gear because I was studying for token ring. Frame relay switch. We all remember those days of frame relay and we'd get a 2500 series router with a lot of serial ports and, uh, you know, configure PVCs on it. ISDN simulator. ISDN was a big part of the exam. It was one of the hardest parts of the CCI exam back then. It was hard to simulate. And then uh, this company, I forget their name, they came out with a really cheap ISDN, ISDN simulator. And we were all so excited when that came out because we could run ISDN in our lab and we didn't have to you know, rent remote racks. So for those of us who had home labs, this was a really a great development. Voice over IP on a route switch exam. So we had to do dial peers and FXS and FXO cards on the route switch exam back then as well. So I had phones and punch down blocks and butt sets in my lab as well. It was really stressful taking Cisco certification tests. There was one place in my town where I could go to take the exam and it was a, a training facility. So you had to go in, you had to work your exams around their classes or else they would be really disruptive. You, the sound wasn't great between the testing rooms and the classrooms. And you're, so you're sitting there and you've got headphones on and you're at this computer that doesn't fit you because I'm short and it was built for someone at least six inches taller than me and and the mouse does, is kind of sticky and doesn't move right. And you're looking at these questions and you're thinking, I have spent so much time. I gave up vacation with my kids to do this. I've got to pass this. And I've got to think about each test and each question. And you're looking at the clock and it's ticking down and you see a question that you really want to put a comment on, but the clock is ticking and you're thinking, maybe I can go back to that one and comment on it. But you don't, you never do, because by the time you get to the end and see that you've passed, you are so relieved. All you want to do is just get out of there. There was no online testing like now. Actually, the security is way stricter. I could take my purse in with me. I could take Kleenex in with me. I didn't have to rely on their Kleenex. Didn't have to put all your belongings in a locker like you do now. And as for Mr. Mallory, well, he's heard some interesting experiences throughout his time supporting Cisco certifications. Whenever you have something of value, you have people who try to skirt the system, right, to steal it. We had someone in a testing center in Australia who kept leaving, like every 15, 20 minutes would leave. You know, we're given the ability to go out and use the facilities and so on. And after about the sixth or seventh time, the person left, the proctor followed him out and went into the restroom. You know, the guy was in the stall. I confronted him. What are you doing? What are you, you know, what, what's the problem? And the guy's nothing. He's right. He starts flushing and flushing. And the proctor burst open the door and the guy had notes that he had hidden in the bathroom. Proctor reached down into the toilet and pulled them all out so that he could prove the guy was cheating. There were still the brain dumps that you could get back then, but that never seemed to make sense to me. There's two reasons to take a certification or two benefits from getting taken a certification. One is the proof, of course, that you know something. But two is to learn something. You're forced to learn things outside of your field of experience. Like you're working for a company that only uses OSPF and you're forced to learn BGP and EIGRP and, and RIP. You're also forced to learn some history of protocols and of this technology. So if all you do is memorize questions, then that's not gonna help you down the road. When I was taking one of my exams in Building C in California, the transformer outside exploded. Yeah, and the whole campus went dark. The first day, shortly after lunch, and we're all sitting in the parking lot with all the fire trucks for about four hours. And then we had to go back in and finish our exam. Time went on and the CCIE endured through the constant changing waves of technology. Then in 2019, software-defined networking was absorbed into the CCIE fold as well. 
Okay, 2019 SDN comes to the CCIE. It actually probably kind of came before that, but for the classic route switch exam, 2019 is when they overhauled it, created the CCIE enterprise infrastructure, which has more of an emphasis on software-defined networking. Starting in about 2008, we started adding voice associate voice professional. We actually did that a little bit earlier in 2003 is when we did voice, right? And we added security, we added wireless, we added other things over time. In 2008, the two teams came together to form learning at Cisco. So it was two separate orgs before. That internal structure, I think, slowed down a little bit of how we built or how we optimized the acquisition and certification of people, acquisition of knowledge and the certification, because they were in separate teams and we launched things at separate times and so on. After 2008, new things typically launched end to end. It looked at a job family or a job role from beginner to expert, right? So we had a much more continuous spectrum of training and knowledge across different job roles. And that worked well for quite a while. Then Cisco decided to shake things up even more, not just for the CCIE, but for all certifications. In 2020, we made a pretty significant change to our portfolio for certifications and training. Portfolio 2.0 was what we called it internally. And there was a couple of big challenges we were trying to address that we were hearing from the community. One of those was, it was a high bar to entry. CCNA was two classes and two exams. CCNA route switch and CCNA security and C, right? So across the, the spectrum, multiple classes, multiple exams. Professional, for the most part, was four exams plus the CCNA. So to become a, you know, a CCNP data center, you had to take six exams and potentially six courses to prepare you for those six exams, right? Or a whole lot of self-study. It's a high bar of entry. The other thing we're hearing from the community is some of the jobs were much more combined than our certifications. For example, wireless networks were done by the same person who's doing the switches. It's just an extension of the network, but we had two different tracks and we described it as two different job roles. So we were trying to figure out how we build this in a way that enabled people to acquire certifications and knowledge more rapidly to lower that barrier to entry. And we were also trying to make sure that we gave people the ability to more tailor their certification to what they did. One of the controversial things we did was we said CCNA is the Cisco Certified Networking Engineer or Associate. So we said that is now the base. This is the common knowledge that anyone in a networking role needs to know. And we eliminated the Associate for Voice and Security and Data Center and so on. The professional, we split into two components. One was a core. And again, the core was what we thought everyone should know who was doing this job role. Whether it is a DC core or an enterprise core or collaboration core, it was the, this, everyone needs to know these core. But then we had what we call concentrations. Again, class and certification exam, a concentration so that you can tailor what you do. If you are an enterprise, but you focus on wireless, there's the core that you need to know. And then you could take your concentration exam to get your professional in wireless, or you could take it in SD-WAN. Right? Or if you're a security guy, maybe your firewall, you're focused on firewalls or ice. You can still do more. Each certification gave you a specialist, but also counted towards the professional level. So it gave people the ability to achieve some outcomes quicker, to get some certifications quicker, to be rewarded as they progress through their journey. And it also let them focus in on what their actual job role was. Instead of having to know with enterprise, the great example is we said, you have to know all the routing protocols. You have to know BGP and OSPF and RIP and, and, and. If your company never did some of those, you can just now focus in on what you do and not have to know everything, but you still have to know what you do and you have to know it well and you have to prove those skills. I think it's been very successful. We are seeing more individuals becoming certified because right, it's a little bit easier. We are seeing more people recertify than in the past. And that is largely because in addition to changing the portfolio, we introduced the concept of continuing education where your learning activities can help you get recertified. Previously, you had to test. Now you can test or through continuing to improve your knowledge, you can recertify using continuing education points. So those, 
I think were really huge benefits of the program. COVID, unfortunately, disrupted the whole world, including our certifications. Testing centers were closed and so on. So we launched basically right when COVID hit. There were some drop-offs. There was some in certifications simply because you couldn't test. These changes now in the last year are really starting to make a big impact for the community, and we're getting a lot of positive feedback on it. So we're happy with that. While Cisco was revamping their entire certification portfolio, Denise was stepping into her own power of expertise. In like late 2021 to 2022, Global Knowledge got a contract from Cisco to redo the CCMP track books. I was on the team to do that. So I worked on the routing book and the switching book. And then once that was done, Cisco Press approached one of the other people on the team, Brent Stewart, who had done some tech editing for them and asked if he wanted to write a study guide for the CCMP or be on the team to write a study guide for the CCMP courses, the new ones. And so Brent asked me if I'd like to help since the two of us had been on the team doing those. So we wrote study guides it was a new concept for Cisco Press. It wasn't the traditional long-form verbiage study guide. This was flashcards, the very first one. So there was more of a late-stage preparation. Like when you've done your studying and you want to make sure you've covered everything, then you could use these. Brent and I did a few of those, and then his career took him a different direction. And then I've continued on and done as you know, <laughs> done more books, done more CCMP study guide, did a CCIE study guide. One of my favorite books actually was Voice Gateways and Gatekeepers book. Because at that point I was working for a partner and getting more into voice and realizing that there was nothing on routers being used as voice gateways. And I really love routing. Routing is my favorite of all the technologies. So I approached Cisco Press and said, hey, we need to write a book on this. They've found a couple, Dave Mallory was one of the people that they found and another guy and we wrote a book. It's one of my favorites because it was written because I had something to say, not as a study guide. The material that we included in it was what we thought people should know. Gosh, that was after I think maybe three CCMP study guides. You have to get credibility with Cisco Press before they let you just write what you want to write. <laughs> At that point, Cisco Press had books that were more like the textbooks in book form. But this was an, a new concept for them that they were trying out. So here's the point. I don't like to use the word evolution because that implies going from some lower form to a higher form, right? It's really about adaptation. The exam adapts to the circumstances of the times, right? And Cisco has been very good in the certification team under PAR and the people who've led it before PAR, they've been very good at keeping this test up to date. We lived in a multi-protocol world once upon a time we are in an IP world, right? We had this multi-WAN environment where you had frame relay and ISDN and these various technologies. And then we moved on to MPLS and now SD-WAN. It was a two-day exam and it went to one day because two days, while it may have been very rigorous, was not a very practical format for the exam. It's not that it was wrong before. It's just that over time, the times have changed and the exam has adapted and it will continue to do so as networking evolves. For me, it, it's it's such a fantastic field and such a fantastic field for women and for non-traditional people in this field that I'm happy to beat the drum however I can. Happy to spread that word. I never had doubts about Cisco certifications as a program. Obviously, no group, no person, nothing is ever perfect. We've made our share of mistakes. It's impossible to make a program that meets everyone's needs, but I, overall, the strategic direction, the high-level direction, I have always been 100% bought in, which is why I'm still here 19 years after joining this team. There were doubts about, well, why are we launching X? I don't think this one is really going to be a, a success. Not very many of those, but a few. The biggest challenge that I think we faced with this, especially on the CCAE, it takes so long to become an expert, or it takes so long to become a professional when we have four classes and four 
exams you had to take. That was really difficult to make updates as quickly as we should have to align with technology and so on. We, we were always trying to balance between keeping the exams current, but also enabling people to prepare. We never wanted to say, you know, you've been preparing for a year and we're going to change the whole exam on you and you got to start over. We have done some things with our portfolio 2.0 to address that. Now where we're doing major and minor revisions, a minor revision would be less than 20% changes. We're giving people a certain extended notification on when the changes are going to happen so you can start preparing for the new versus preparing for the current. You know, we've been doing lots of work over the years to address those issues. But I think that's probably the biggest challenge we've had is how do we balance between preparing and, and keeping the exams current? My role in learning has changed a lot over the years from SME to leadership and so on. I currently manage the both the training, the content development team, the delivery of training, as well as the certification program. So my hope is that Cisco is continued to be seen as one of the, if not the top technical certification programs in technology. For me, what I want us to be seen as kind of the gold standard, not necessarily in volumes, right? But this is how a certification should be built. This certification truly is proving the person's skills, the ability to do a job role. I hope we're, we're continuing to be seen as a leader in the technical certifications. That's it for our episode on the history of Cisco certifications. Special thanks to Matt Saunders for his amazing help throughout each of these interviews and to David, Denise, and Jeff for their fantastic perspectives. To learn more about the Cisco certification portfolio, please visit the Cisco Learning Network at www.ciscolearningnetwork.com. There, you can find all kinds of information about the ever-changing world of Cisco certifications, as well as a wealth of resources that can help you prepare for your next certification exam. And please subscribe to the Cisco Learning Network podcast to hear news about Cisco certifications and to hear stories from others on their certification journeys. Be sure to stay tuned for our next episode, The Future of Digital Learning. This will be a very special episode that gives all kinds of information on Cisco's new platform for helping you prepare for your next certification exam, Cisco U. Thanks for listening. <laughs>